Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We are here today with Joan Denton, the author of an article called The Work of Your Fingers, which appeared in America magazine. Joan has advanced degrees in both science and theology and a master's and doctorate in science biology and has authored or co-authored more than 100 scientific articles or reports. More recently, she received a master's in theology from the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley. Joan, thanks for joining us today uh, all the way from California. Yes, thank you very much for having me. So as I mentioned, you wrote a wonderful article called The Work of Your Fingers for America, which prompted me to, to reach out to you. In the article, you make uh, a case that the authors of the Bible were amazingly accurate in their predictions about some aspects of creation, and that key verses from the, the Bible can help us uh, m- maybe understand the creation of the universe. Before we get into some of the examples that you cite, as well as some others that aren't included in the article, uh, this is something you've studied and given some thought to for some time, isn't it? Yes, you know, I've actually thought about it for many years, sort of silently thought about it, silently observed patterns, and never really, really thought about writing it down until I was getting my master's of uh, theology at at the Jesuit school. So, yeah, it's something that has just actually come to me over the years, something I didn't actively, actively go after, but some, but a pattern that I've observed, and finally was fortunate enough to be able to write it down. And how did you uh, become interested in this school of thought? Well, I'm a lifelong Catholic, and my family and myself are daily communicants. And so over the years, that's sort of where I started, where over the years, of course, I sat and listened to many times the, you know, the readings from the gospel. And so I was very familiar with that through my practice of being a Catholic and reading the Bible. But I'm also a scientist, and that is what my field of study was, and that's what I spent my career life doing, was being a scientist. But I was educated in a very secular environment, so I never talked about my religion or my faith or my theology or these things that occurred to me out in the open, because I felt intimidated that as a scientist, if you actually express especially with this Galileo, um, Galileo controversy, if you expressed any kind of validity of the Bible and science, you were, I would be very much looked down upon. So anyway, I kind of, kind of thought about it for, for many years and um, listened to these verses, and then I became more and more aware that there was a pattern that I had never seen anybody else express about science and the Bible. So... And that's kind of the, the history of my interest in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And most of us as Catholics and, and likely as people of faith have been taught that there's, uh, you know, the, the biblical version of creation and then there's science's version and, and never right. the two shall meet. Is, right. Isn't this the case? 
Well, I don't, I don't think so. You see, I have seen articles of other people who have been written, that have been written about just the first phrase of Genesis, in the beginning. So what does that mean? Well, that means that there was a beginning. The Bible is saying there's a beginning, and it wasn't until the last century that science actually endorsed what we know as the Big Bang Theory. That is, that at T equals zero, there was a beginning to the universe as we know it. So I had seen that, but I hadn't seen any other connections between aspects of creation that I had observed in this quiet manner. Mm-hmm. So let's use that as a, a segue into your first example. You, you mentioned it's, it's called the Big Bang Theory. It's one aspect of evolution of the universe. Um, tell us about your observations related to this and, and, and kind of what you went into in, in the article in terms of the first example. Okay. Well, I used Genesis 1... Uh, Genesis 1 through 5, the first verses of the Bible. And, and I won't read the whole verse, but there, the aspect that I focused on in this article was the, the phrase that darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's early in the, in the verse. And then uh, later on it says, God says, said, let there be light, and there was light. And then finally God separated the light from the darkness. So it was this aspect of light and dark that I that I focused on. And what I what I observed or what I thought about was the Bible says, like I mentioned in the beginning, and indeed science says there was a T equals zero, that darkness preceded light, and science now has come to the conclusion that darkness preceded the emission of light by about 400 million years. So 400 million years after T equals zero, darkness was, was um, the opaqueness of the universe was clear enough or, or was, was dispersed enough that light could be emitted. So that there was, there was a beginning, darkness preceded light, and then 400 million years after T equals zero, light was emitted from the darkness. And now we see the universe as being, you know, this, whole uh, amazing uh, thing of, of galaxies and stars and light and dark. So that's that was the first example that I used. Mm-hmm. And the second uh, you mentioned uh, deals with the origins of the human person and 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 s- cites the following passage from Genesis, which I which I really think is, is so appropriate. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Right. Right. This is a really interesting example for me. Um, we know, science, science tells us, and we know from our education and so forth, that matter consists of elements, and there are over 120 different elements. And all matter in the universe, including ourselves, is formed from these elements. Well, how did the elements come, come to be? The elements came to be... Um, the first three elements were created, the nuclei of these elements were created at, at the time of the Big Bang. So the first three elements, that is, hydrogen, helium, and lithium were created, or, or the atoms were formed uh, within a short time after the, the Big Bang. The remaining elements, however, you, you be, uh, were formed, created, came to be through what we call stellar nucleosynthesis. And that is through the formation and exp- 
explosion and evolution of supernova. So the first three in the very beginning and then all the remaining elements from these explosions of these supernova. So the extrusion of these elements into space was actually um, a huge field of study, but but actually um, were agglomerated into the Earth that we know it and uh, and who we are. And one of the, my favorite quotes is from Lawrence Krauss, who's an astrophysicist, and, and this is an amazing thing. He says, every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. Mm. You are all stardust. And it's just so, so perfectly uh, an explanation of that Genesis 2 to 7, which says, God, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Absolutely. And we're all stardust. Just amazing to me. It really is. It, and it, it is, as you say, it's a perfect explanation. Right. In your third example, you tackle the commonly held belief that's so prevalent in the Bible, our, our being chosen by God. Uh, yeah. how, how do you, uh, you know, reconcile this common citation of the Bible with the notion of being chosen before the beginning of time? Well, the key verse, and you're right, there's a whole, I mean, that's part of the whole Bible. Is I mean, that's, that's, a, that's one of the fundamental themes, is that we, we were chosen by by God. But... What I focused on was Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This was a very specific verse. And what Paul says in that, in that verse, one, let's see, chapter 1, verse 4, and this is it, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And the, the thing that I focused on here was this phrase, before the foundation of the world. What science now says, and scientists agree about this, whether they're believers or non-believers, that the universe, we know that the universe had to develop a long and extremely narrow range of mathematical constants in order for life to emerge. And this is called the anthropic principle or the cosmological principle. One can look up Look it up on mm-hmm. Wikipedia. It's, it's all there, the anthropic principle or the cosmological principle. Again, the, the, that in order for the universe to develop and in order for us come to, be, uh, you know, come to, to exist, the universe had very specific narrow range of constants. And if it had deviated at all from that, we wouldn't be here. And maybe I could just again quote uh, this famous quote from... from Frederick Dyson, also a scientist, but this is probably the most familiar scientific quote that is associated, and it goes right back to the chosenness before the foundation of the world. And he said, as we look out into the universe and we identify the many accidents of physics and astronomy that have worked together to our benefit, it almost seems that the universe must, in some sense, have known that we were coming. Ah, it's just just amazing. It's a little chilling there. Amazing, it is really because I am just so interested in this topic that I just think about it a lot, and you know, at times it kind of brings me to tears. I just can't believe that that um, this anyway that the universe is so beautiful, and that you know our biblical ancestors who wrote the Bible um, 
And, you know, Paul's letter could have been so, uh, you know, sort of anticipated what we would be finding out now. And there'll be people listening to this and 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 praying about it, no doubt, uh, reading the, your article, uh, wondering how how in such primitive times uh, they could have been so prescient in their observations. Mm-hmm. To what do you attribute that? How do you how do you? Uh, I'm sure you've thought about it much in your own it, mind. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I think that's one of the key the key. Um, I guess, conclusions of the article. The article was titled sort of The Scientific Observations of Our Biblical Ancestors. So, so I think what I would say is that although these writers, and you have to remember the Bible, of course, was written, what, between 600 B.C. and maybe 1400 B.C., that these people who, who are the writers of the Bible were keen observers of their environment. They lived, they observed the natural world, not through telescopes and microscopes and labs and petri dishes, but they watched, they observed, they saw what was happening in the natural world. So, so they were keen observers of the natural world, and second, they really sought and reflected on it. So they saw and they thought about it. But they were also products of their own culture because they were influenced by the, and were influenced by the cultures around them, specifically probably the, the, the Babylonians and the Arabs and the Greeks. So they were influenced by these, by these cultures, so a combination of this. And I just sort of think that they, that they were a product of natural observation, experience of the natural world, influenced by these surrounding cultures, plus the factors of inspiration and revelation. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Sean. Good to talk to you. All right. God bless. Thank you. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. As he led the invocation before the August 14th Baltimore City Council meeting, Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lorry prayed for peace and unity following the brutal display of hatred and violence in Charlottesville, Virginia, two days prior. Give us the courage to excise from our midst anger, violence, hatred, and bigotry, and the underlying sin of racism that is still so prevalent in our midst, he prayed. Bring about that day, O Lord, when people will cease to hate their brothers and sisters because of the color of their skin, or their religion, or their nationality. He concluded by asking God to, quote, help us live together, work together, and worship together, to keep each other safe, to look out for one another, to practice kindness, and to experience across the lines that divide a real sense of human solidarity, end quote. You can read more at catholicreview.org. State Catholic Conference directors from 36 states, including Alaska and Hawaii, gathered July 31st through August 2nd in Maryland's capital city to discuss a variety of concerns to those who assist local bishops with public policy. The meeting of the National Association of State Catholic Conference Directors covered topics including health care, education, Catholic schools, and immigration. Noting that more than 2,500 bills were introduced in the Maryland General Assembly's 2017 session, Bishop Dennis J. Madden, Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus of Baltimore, said bishops rely on the work of the Catholic Conference, quoting, 
Without the expert and dedicated guidance of the Maryland Catholic Conference, he said, we bishops would have been at a great loss in knowing how to best respond to the overwhelming number of bills. You can read more on this story and many others at catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. You're listening to Vatican Radio. Catholic leaders in the United States have spoken out forcefully against racism in the wake of violent protests that erupted last weekend in the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. A planned rally by the so-called alt-right that included white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups was met by large counter-protests. As fights broke out between the two groups, police attempted to disperse the crowds. Dozens of people were injured and one person was killed when a car was driven into a group of counter-protesters. The bishops of the United States spoke out immediately to denounce the violence. The president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or USCCB, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, issued a statement on behalf of all the bishops condemning the violence and hatred seen in Charlottesville. The abhorrent acts of hatred on display in Charlottesville are an attack on the unity of our nation and therefore summon us all to fervent prayer and peaceful action, he said. Following the USCCB's statement, Vatican Radio's Christopher Wells spoke with Cardinal DiNardo and asked him about the bishop's response to the events in Charlottesville. Well, I first want to say that uh, Saturday afternoon, almost immediately when... Uh, we became aware of it, I issued a, uh, a statement on behalf of all of the bishops of the United States and and what seemed to be also joining a, a number of rele- uh, leaders, religious and otherwise, around the nation, uh, condemning the uh, abhorrent uh, acts of violence, hatred that were on display in Charlottesville. We see it as an attack on the unity of our nation. We see it as a, as a massive uh, evil thing, as uh, I would be want to say, that we, uh, we find all of those racism, white supremacy, neo-Nazism evils uh, have raised their voices and in acts of deplorable violence, and so we want to raise our voices against them. May I add, we also uh, want to pray for the victims of violence, especially for the young woman Heather Heyer and her family. Uh, we pray for the repose of her soul. We pray for her family. And there's a number of others. In fact, uh, 
young women from Houston who are recovering from their injuries. Our point is to pray, to uh, call on Catholics and all peoples of goodwill, to pray for healing, and then to start working anew for unity and peace in this time of tension and division. Your Eminence, the Church has been part of the conversation on on race and peace and unity in our country. The events in Charlottesville seem to be part of a series of events that have inflamed racial tensions and other divisions in the United States. Can you kind of clarify some of the issues that are being raised by this these events? What's at the heart of these new racial tensions, these new divisions in the country? Well, we, uh, last year, in light of uh, earlier racially charged uh, shootings and whatnot uh, in the country, had put together a task force to promote peace in our communities. And we did that last year with a series of recommendations for calling uh, Catholics together, too, even with others, and to speak a little more on this mutual respect. What we, what we find that's uh, newer now is, is that what would be just voices now are descending in, into actions, and uh, actions of uh, violence and against African-Americans, people of color. By the way, we've also noted some in some of the more recent things, uh, anti-Semitic comments, too. For, for some, uh, the emphasis on our nation, and as you know, we've had nationalisms before that have been hurtful. But now we see this rising again, along with this uh, racist thinking and action. Uh, we see that as, as new, even though this has happened before, but we see it as new and therefore calls for a response by people of goodwill, by religious people. I think it calls for a response uh, by our own Catholic congregations. And in fact, you've just denounced this atmosphere of hatred and division in very strong terms, uh, calling them abhorrent acts and describing them as evil. And at the same time, uh, first of all, you said uh, the church summons us all to fervent prayer and peaceful action. And you've also said that the this is an opportunity for peop- all people of goodwill to end racial violence and to build peace in our communities. What can the church as a whole and Catholics as individuals do in terms of peaceful action and concrete actions aimed at building up peace? One thing to do, of course, is to pray constantly and consistently about these issues and pray for uh, any conversion in our own hearts that may lend ourselves to uh, certain kinds of stereotypical thinking or lead ourselves to, to think that any kind of action can be justified that hurts or causes violence to another. I believe that the Catholic communities themselves can, can work in their parishes for welcoming, particularly in terms of our African-American community. But we can also do welcoming in our community by speaking up on the issues. I think that where a small group of hate is met consistently by, I think, the larger numbers of people in our country and in our church who are certainly opposed to that kind of uh, racism and uh, uh, nationalistic baiting. Uh, that's, a, that's a presence. Part of the problem of any kind of evil getting a foothold is when the really good people don't say anything. So I think that's part of it. So those kinds of issues are important, that we speak, that we uh, act together. For some, it may be prayer services. For some, it may be some joint action in the city. Those are the kinds of things where those of goodwill who peacefully come together to pray and advocate 
in behalf of all those who are tinged by this uh, this racist thinking. And any final thoughts as we wrap up our interview? Well, I think what we are is at the beginning of uh, of another form of both encouragement and action that we, I think, as bishops will do and will be speaking about very soon. Uh, that has happened before in our country. Uh, Chris, it is unfortunate that the the history of racism has been a blot on our country almost since its inception. And we have moments and times where we do well. I certainly think over the past 40 years there have been many good things that have happened. But it is obvious from the kinds of things that went on this weekend that we still have work to do. So it just reminds us that this is a steady task. That was Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, Archbishop of Galveston, Houston, and President of the USCCB. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Baltimore native George Weigel, best-selling author and the preeminent biographer of St. John Paul II, will speak about his new book, Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, at the Baltimore Basilica on September 21st at 7 p.m. In his new book, Weigel takes readers behind the scenes as history is made in the Vatican and beyond, and ponders the lessons he learned from a saint about the nobility of the human spirit. For more information, call 410-547-5523 or visit americasfirstcathedral.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.